Coming to you from Charm City, I'm Anthony. And I'm Cece. And you're listening to Lit Pop Bang. Welcome, everybody. Uh, this is our record in April. You're going to hear it in May, hopefully, maybe later episode. Uh, it's episode uh, six, five, five, six. Something. We should know. We, we're not good at this. We're not good at numbers. Um, okay. <laughs> so today we do have a special episode, though. Um, we thought it'd be nice. Um, it's been such a busy month for us. We had so much going on. We thought rather than having a guest this month, we just chat about all the cool things that happened this month. It's poetry month. Jam-packed. Jam-packed for us. Yeah. yeah. So as poets... And as educators, uh, April ends up just jam-packed with different things, yeah. with readings, with events, events, conferences, just any and everything has been going on in April. So we thought we'd talk a lot about that and also bring you our typical pop and bang portions. Yeah. So let's get right into it. So yeah. April, let's talk about some of the cool things that went on this month. We had, um, we together, have done. Two, we did two panels. Interestingly yeah. enough, so one of these panels... CC organized. It was kind enough to invite me on board. Um, the other one we incidentally sort of like uh, both came to through different approaches. Um, and I don't even think we knew that the other one was invited until like way late. Yeah, it was, we just a few weeks ahead of it. I was like, oh, I'm doing this thing. Oh, I'm doing this thing. Right. Um, and we were on the same panel. <laughs> but uh, interestingly enough, it was about creative nonfiction. Right. Yeah. So you... Uh, your bio says journalist, but primarily you're a poet. You yes. teach poetry primarily. Yeah, but you, I started out as a journalist a long time ago before every, anyone would ever know me. Right, <laughs> right. You, you worked for the Village Voice or Freelance Farm? Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so you have a creative nonfiction background, but you right. didn't talk about creative nonfiction. No, no, yeah. And my new project, the reason why I got asked to the panel is because my new project, uh, working with this mid-19th century African-American woman from the West, really has to do with a historical story that I'm retelling through poetry. So that's why I got invited um, to the panel. And you, your memoir is based also on a fiction, well, factual, but um, would you like to talk a little bit yeah, about it? Yeah, sure. Or? Let's talk about the panel first, too. So the oh, panel is organized should, by yeah. uh, Elizabeth Dickinson. She's a yeah. local writer. She has some bylines and I think uh, Everywhere. Some big names. Uh, a salon, a big, yeah. the New York Times. Yeah, a I lot believe. of national publications. Yes. Uh, she writes primarily nonfiction. Yes. What might be called personal essay or right, narrative like, journalism. Creative nonfiction is a pretty open yeah. genre, right? Yeah. That's one of the things that I'm, I mean, I knew about it, but I feel like it encompasses even more than I originally really thought. Sure. Yeah, totally. I, I totally agree with that. It's a huge genre. It can be so many things. So yeah. she asked each of us separately um, if we'd be interested in joining this panel on creative nonfiction. And she said writing from the margins, which historically means two things. And I think she was sort of um, seeing it as both things. One is sort of those of us who are outside of the maybe dominant identity, right? right. So yeah, um, that. writers who aren't white or aren't straight or right. um, you know, th those sort of the margins that we usually right. talk about from identity. But also she talked about just talking about difficult things or things yeah. that have been erased from history. Yeah. Things things that um, didn't, don't have good representation is another way I would uh, look at it. I think all of our projects are things that... Um, regardless to the subject matter, they all come from spaces where they're not well represented. You know what I mean? So I think that's really what she was wanting to get at, at the panel and some of the things that we talked about during the panel. Yeah. And that thought that, that 
uh, not represented. That hits both those points, right? It hits right. identity. And, and right, and content. Yeah. Right, identity yeah. and content. Both. Absolutely. Yeah. So we sat on this panel. It was for a festival called City Lit Festival. Which is a great, great festival here in Baltimore City. It happens every year. Um, I've been participating in it, I believe, for the past three years. And it always is a great blast. It invites everyone from the local community, um, both presses, small presses, individual writers. Um, books are sold there. There's a book fair. It's a really fantastic event. Yeah, it's a day-long thing. They've been hosting it at the University of Baltimore for a couple of years. Before oh, yeah. that, it was uh, Central Library here in Baltimore right. City. Um, it's a good event. It's held by an organization called City Lit, who right. really is, um, they really uh, are champions for, for local writers, local presses, the they local are. literary scene. It's a really cool festival. We encourage you to Google it, check it out. We'll have the link in the show notes, of course. We will. So, yeah. So it was great. We were both invited to talk. Cece talked about her upcoming poetry project, the research page project, um, based in historical fact. Right. Um, so it was. It is creative nonfiction. It's creative nonfiction poetry. Right. Which I, which feels a little different. But yeah. Normally but when people yeah when people talk about the genre they often talk about creative nonfiction prose. Right. That's what they right. Yeah. You know we have a long history whether it's confessional or right. or or any number of poets who are talking and really operating in that creative nonfiction realm. Right. Um, so yeah, so great thing. And then we were joined by, uh, Saida Agostini, yes. also writing mostly poetry, um, for her it's, um, hers was based in familial research. Right. Primarily about her family and her family background and, um, Diana mm-hmm. and about, um, particularly she talked about her grandmothers and wanting to represent that story on the page and sort of the history of her family. And so, uh, also a Ruby Grant winner who, uh, got awarded to do, do this project about her family and travel back and find out her family's history. Yeah. So yeah. research based in the same way we talked yep. about creative nonfiction. Yeah. I mean, your project. Yes. Yeah. Getting to my project. Yeah. So <laughs> I am, uh, I mentioned this on the podcast before this year, yeah. I have my first full length memoir coming out. Uh, last year it won the nonfiction prize award from the journal, which is a literary journal from the Ohio State University Press. Good press. Yeah, great Good press. Good stuff. Um, been around for a long time. Um, traditionally published academic work until maybe a decade or two ago, and they really broke into um, to publishing stories and poems, yeah. um, really building a literary arm of an academic press. I wonder, does that happen a lot? Do you think that happens a lot, that a lot of like traditionally academic presses break into um, you know, fiction, poetry. It's kind of interesting. It seems like that's a, a little bit of a slant as, or trend as to where some academic presses are going. Not all, but some. Yeah, I wonder I wonder about the choice. I, I, I definitely see it a lot. You see it a lot. Yeah, like, I do you too. Know, Minnesota has yep. a great, great literary arm of their press. Yeah, University of Texas yeah. Press, who I love. Great, great, great work coming out of there. Yeah. So you see a lot of presses doing it and having a lot of success with it as yeah. well. And I wonder if the choice comes from Demand? Um, or? Yeah, exactly. I wonder if it's them like building a space for literature and seeing how important that is to the academy and to right. academic discourse, and or is it a market choice, right? Yeah, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. They know that selling those sorts of books will help them publish or maybe promote the academic arm right you know what i mean it's like you know people who are coming searching for the latest uh you know music ethnography of of whatever musician will also say "Ooh, there's this great you know creative nonfiction book that i'd like to check out too you know what i mean and and also this great academic you know scholarship on you know i don't know amoebas or whatever or whatever they do you know what i mean so i'm wondering is is demand driving it but also 
Um, you know, also I think genres are sort of opening up cross genres are sort of, you know, I don't know. I'm just thinking about all this stuff out loud. I know this wasn't planned people. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just thinking about all, I like to think about all these things sort of out loud, but I do wonder if that's the the way that academic presses are sort of yeah. like for the future, maybe. Yeah. It's interesting. So, uh, the Ohio State University Press is publishing my book through, uh, their trade literary paperback arm. So they have like a lot of, uh, big presses with the big four presses, the big corporate presses. What is that supposed uh, to mean? <laughs> the big, the big four. Who so, says that? You know what I mean? That's yeah. just, that's like people saying the big four NBA choices. You know what yeah. I mean? I mean, what, what does that mean? No, I know what that means. Yeah. I'm just being, I'm being ridiculous. So for, 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 <laughs> Listeners who don't know, um, there's a, a whole uh, tiered market. I don't want to say tiered because that suggests a hierarchy, but... Um, it's kind of true, though. It kind of is true. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when you say random, yeah. you just kind of... Yeah. I mean, so, you know, or on Norton. To- on top of that hierarchy are uh, four big corporate organizations. Yeah, sure. um, they have many subsidiaries right. and, and arms. They do a lot of work. Um, and so those big corporate presses... Um, they take up a lot of the market, but then below that, there are also academic presses, there are sure. independent presses, sure. there are micro presses. Right. Um, micro. So they're the various sizes of, like of people fiction. doing it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like, very, or, like the, or like the micro mini. Yeah. I'd like mini skirt. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just all these different iterations of the word micro. Anyway. Yeah. So um, getting to it, uh, Ohio State University Press, yes. they're publishing my book. They're doing this with their literary arm. So they've actually created a whole wing where they're publishing these books. Um, I don't know if it's to distinguish or, or for branding purposes, but it'll actually be branded with Mad Creek Books oh, huh. at the Ohio State University Press. Right. So, um, but yeah. still, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think I think I'm really interested in watching the market, even though I'm ha- we're having this intense market conversation on the podcast. But I'm really interested in where the market's sort of going and what the trends are, and you know what will be the future. I mean, people keep saying you know books are dying, and you know traditional book models are dying. You know what I mean? I don't really think that's true. Mm. What I think is really happening is there's a major shift taking um, place in America, and I think the 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 how do I say it the scheme. The schematics are changing, right? You know, things are shifting and people are doing different things with models of uh, traditional poetry, um, poetry, fiction, nonfiction, these sorts of things. And presses are making different choices. So I'm sort of inter- interested in watching those trends. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Nobody really knows where it's going to land, right? We know no. it's changing. Yeah. We know we're in the middle of a big change. Yeah. I don't think that change is, is a death. Right? No, I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think books will not be published ever for the rest of our life. Yeah. Like, give me a break. Like, people will always be publishing books. Yeah. It's about who and how. Yeah, you absolutely. Know? Absolutely. And the yeah. models change. You see things like Amazon Singles. Oh, yeah. Think. What's that? Uh, so, Amazon Singles are um, them publishing really as an ebook. Um, uh, long form essays standalone. Yeah. And another organization are doing something similar where they're publishing long form essays, either in ebook format or in like novella chat book sort of format. Hmm. Um, very uh, singular long form works that aren't novella length. Um, yeah. They're longer than say a short story. Huh. Um, and people, you can buy them yeah. individually yeah. individual yeah. essays. Yeah, exactly. Huh. So that's see stuff like that. You see stuff like, um, she books where, yeah. uh, which is publishing, um, using a digital first format. Yeah. Um, and many places, you know, you've begun to see two contests offering digital publication first, as opposed yeah. to, you know, book 
bound book, you know? So yeah. that was interesting to me too, because I haven't seen that. Like, that's a really new thing that they're yeah. saying, oh, you can win a book deal, but the book deal is a digital published book, yeah. right? You know right. what I mean? So I think that's even interesting to sort of think about. Yeah. And then that mixed with sort of bookstores and stuff. Right. Um, bookstore, the brick and mortar bookstore is definitely shifting. You know, you're not going to see... As many big box bookstores, Barnes yeah. and Noble, Borders, that sort of stuff. But you know, a lot of small bookstores, new bookstores are opening, right? You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I just got invited um, recently to speak at the new uh, Bus Boys and Poets, which is a an old model, but they've opened a new bookstore uh, down by the wharf or the harbor yeah. in D.C. So that's brand new. And also here in Baltimore, we have a new bookstore, which I have not been to yet, but I'm dying to go, which is called Greedy Reads, and um, that's in Fells Point. That's a oh, brand, yeah, 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 yeah brand new that. small small bookstore niche bookstore but so i think you know it's odd people are saying that like bookstores are dying they're not making money but they're totally yeah things are definitely changing we see online shopping more we see the certainly a decline in big box stores but we also see a rise independent stores which we saw down with the big box store (laughs) who said that we're up on a tangent (laughs) we are we're talking about uh both of us want big box stores to carry our books please (laughs) please buy my book for put it put it on shelves nationally um, okay, um, so I, I was reading from my book, Out of Step, yes. a memoir is the name of the book. You can the find panel. it. Uh, it's available for pre-order now from the Ohio State University Press. You can find it on Amazon. Um, you should buy it in a brick-and-mortar store, preferably independent. Um, <laughs> a little plug for that, just in case just in case the listeners didn't know. Yeah, so uh, I read a piece from that, um, and this is interesting. I read a piece, I, I don't know why I did this. I read a piece that I have trouble reading to myself without crying, I chose to read that piece aloud uh, at this at this event. Um, I definitely did not make it through the reading without crying. It was a room full of people. We packed the room way more than we expected. Yes, we did. We had a great only. we had a great audience. Um, and I definitely found myself crying in front of a packed room. I don't know why this is. I think this is interesting that you find. I don't know that you even mention it. I don't think it's, I don't think there's anything wrong with expressing your feelings. I don't think that there's, I mean, you know, I wonder sometimes about, because you are male, I'm just, you know, I wonder if men sometimes feel differently about this than women do. You know what I mean? I I don't think, uh, women have any, most women that I know have problems. Um, if they do have a moment where they break down, you know what I mean? I don't know. I, I think, I think it's totally fine. Yeah. I, I do think that there is a gender dynamics to crying, particularly crying in public. Yes. I think being a queer man, I uh, am a little padded from that, but not entirely. I, For me, it wasn't crying in public. Crying in public is fine. It's something oh. I'm increasingly getting used to. It took some time to get there, but it's something I'm increasingly getting comfortable with. Um, I, I teach a poem in my Intro to Creative Writing class that uh, more often than not makes me cry, and so I'm getting comfortable being misty, even in front of my students. Um, but I was actually worried. I was worried a bit that it I, it was felt exploitative. Like me crying in public was, I don't know. Uh, like a show? Like a stunt? Yeah, like yeah, like luring it out. Oh, my God. The, I mean, unless uh, you're, uh, unless you're, uh, what is it, Sterling K. Brown. I mean, you know what I mean? From <laughs> This Is Us. There's no way for it to look. <laughs> Who cries all the time? Yeah. He even cried on SNL, which was really funny. It was a spoof of him crying. I hope you guys saw it. <laughs> anyway, maybe you didn't. But the point is, is no, I think, um, I don't think people, I don't know, maybe I'm... I don't think on I don't think on those levels. So I don't yeah. I don't think people would think it was a stunt. I think people probably thought you were moved by it, even yeah. though it is your own writing. I mean, you can be moved by your own work. I have been and you know, I mean I think it's normal. Yeah. 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 
it's the only essay in the book that really gets me like that. So, yeah, I mean, uh, I think you should, you know, I mean, I just think people, people, I mean, you know, uh, we're humans. Yeah. You know, we have in public, y'all. We have we have emotions. We should be free. I'm saying not you not you have to do it, but we should be free to uh, express ourselves and and cry if that's what um, if that's what happens. Dear listeners, please cry in public one time this month. Right. Exactly. I mean, some NPR, listen, some This American Life. Right. And, or 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 some Terry Gross, right? Uh, or read anything on the internet about today's current political climate, and that that should make you <laughs> that should make you cry, <laughs> Misty. That's all right. <laughs> the other thing we did a week later after uh, City Lit Fest, yeah. was we held a reading panel at a festival called Split This Rock. Yeah. It's a national festival in D.C. Um, the 10-year anniversary yeah. of Split This Rock right. this year. The 10th anniversary, the 10th annual festival of Split This Rock. It's hosted by an organization of the same name who focuses on poetry of witness and provocation. Right. So poetry that doesn't shy away from uh, the political, but also that recognizes how the political and personal interact with each other. Right. So great festival, amazing headliners, amazing panels, the whole three days. Um, and on the third day, we had a panel and CC organized that panel. So why don't you tell us a bit about what happened, how you put it together? Yeah, well, the panel was just called entitled, simply entitled Walls Will Not Divide Us. And it was looking at murals as a way of poetic resistance and a way to bring the community together, especially uh, in the light of the Trump era, which was mentioned uh, on the title of the panel as well. Um, But I just, you know, I I wanted to focus on the idea of walls will not divide us because I was really interested in thinking about the way that public art or um, murals outside art really brings people together and makes them think hopefully about their community, but also think about art and what it does to us as people and how it informs us and changes us on the inside. So I was really interested in looking at that as a way of resisting uh, the Trump administration, which is really talking about borders and putting up walls and keeping out immigrants and a lot of really, um, I don't know, really tragic and, I don't know, debilitating to me sort of ideas. But I wanted to look at the other side and the way the walls bring us together and right. not bring, uh, break us up apart. So that's what the panel was really about. And it really was focusing on ecrastic poetry, which is poetry about visual art. And so all of us, uh, all the panelists, uh, yourself, Stephen Leva and also Ailish Hopper were all writing poems about ekphrastic, you know, writing ekphrastic poems and writing poems in response to murals that are here in Baltimore. Right. So we took about three, four months um, we did. from the initial planning date um, to write about a handful of murals around the city. That led us to related ideas like street art and yeah. um, what physical outdoor spaces look like. Yeah. Um, and it ended up being a really cool event. There's yeah. Four distinct voices with distinct approaches to the idea. Um, and and we had some really lovely audience members who were very excited and, about, about hearing poetry about art. They were like, this is amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing audience members. It was one of the most engaged panels. I would I've say seen. so too. Really interesting idea. That a lot of talk back, a lot of questions. Yeah, a lot of time talking to us after the panel was really, really lovely. Yeah, and I think that's one important thing too about panels. I mean, you know, all of us have done panels. All of you in the uh, listening world have probably done panels before, but it's really nice to have interaction. That's one thing that I think many panelists want, but sometimes you don't really get it. You know, it's that awkward yeah. moment where they open it up for questions, and it's like. Dead silence. Dead silence. And you don't want that. You want your audience to be as interested as you were in the project and therefore want to ask you questions, engage with you and talk about the dynamics of what you've done. You know what I mean? I think art, I mean, anyway, art should be a public discussion, right? Yeah. I'm not the only one who thinks that, I mean, art should not be like, 
this private elite discussion. I think right. it should be something that everybody shares in. Yeah, it shouldn't be us us creators telling consumers right. this is art. It should be a conversation among community members. Exactly. We yeah. had a woman who was in the audience from North Carolina who said she was going to go back and look in her hometown for murals that she could like write about. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was great. I mean, I really just thought they were fantastic individuals. Yeah. Fantastic group. Really great audience. Um, and the rest of the festival is fantastic too. Yeah. Uh, like said, there's a small book fair. Yep. They're both readings and panels. Yep. Ilya um, Kaminsky. Ilya Kaminsky. Re- we both love. Elizabeth Acevedo yeah. featured reading. Many, I mean, so Sonia Sanchez, of course, Paul Tran. There were, I mean, many, many um, fantastic and wonderful writers who were there sharing their work as featured readers at the end of the each day of the of the conference. Yeah, yeah. Did you and did you make wait Friday? Did you go? Did you? Were no, you the, I made it Saturday. Saturday, yeah, right? I was there all day Saturday. It was really lovely. But Saturday ended with a tribute to Sarah Browning. Yep. Um, who we had on the podcast before the director of this rock. She's fantastic. We're going to be sad um, to see her go. We are. It's going to be really sad. This is her last conference. But like, we are sure that she's going to find someone who is equally as uh, effervescent and dedicated to social right. justice poetry as she yeah. is. A couple of other really great events happening this month, too. Yes. Uh, so to start, we had the Youth Poet Laureate competition for Baltimore City. In which we have a brand new Youth Poet Laureate. Yeah, Lovey. Uh, Lovey's a youth poet. Uh, she is a daughter of... Uh, a, a big scene mom who's been in the poetry scene for a long time. I'm sure she wants to be uh, more than a mom, though. No, I mean, but she is the mother of our new Baltimore yeah. um, youth poet Lord. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, yeah, Lovey won the competition. It was great. Held at City Hall, as it has been the last few years. Cool. I had the great opportunity to judge it again this year. Fantastic. Um, really talented poets from across the city, even a couple county poets, which yeah. was great. They're invited to come uh, and slam. Um, cool. Fantastic competition. Yeah. Uh, the mayor came out. Out. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, so the second year she came out, second year she opened uh, with a poem of her own. Here's a fun fact for listeners. Baltimore City's current mayor, Catherine Pugh, is a self-proclaimed poet, uh, and she has published, I believe self-published, a collection of poems a few years back. Wow. Yeah. I never knew that. And yeah. he's, so, he's so full of fun facts. Who knew this? Catherine Pugh is a poet. Yeah, she's a poet. Um, so she, you can check the work out on your own. Uh, I think you can track it down. It's no longer in print, but you can track it down. Uh, now Defunct City Paper did a, a review that's somewhere out there on the internet. Oh, okay, cool. Um, Maybe we'll put that in the show yeah. notes, too. And then if you find my Instagram, I've posted uh, excerpts of her reciting her poetry. Oh, well. this video. So, yeah, this video. <laughs> that's great. That's great. Her. I didn't see that. Uh, you can you can decide what you think about her poetry. Yeah, yeah I mean, you know. About it. You decide what you think of it. You know what I think is cool? Here's what, here's what I would say. Without... You know, a priori, without without actually seeing Catherine Pugh reading her own poetry, I would say it's just great that we have a public official who yeah. is sharing and who is that interested in the art form. Yeah, That's what I'll say. Absolutely, I don't have a lot of I don't have a lot of great things to say about Mayor Pugh. Um, she hasn't. Uh, as the as a Democratic mayor, she hasn't brought the sort of hope we thought she would bring. Um, she vetoed Fight for 15 um, when yeah. it came through Baltimore. But I will say this. She does come to these events. She does support yeah. youth arts. Yeah, um, I think so, too. She does put herself on the line by reading her 10-year-old poetry. Um, <clears throat> uh, it's 10 years old. She didn't write it when she was 10. Um <laughs> She does put herself out there and she does come to these events. Right. And I think, and and I, again, like I said, for me, I mean, I, I, again, I think all, 
I think all politicians, including our current administration and the previous administration, Barack Obama, I think mm-hmm. we can be critical of them yeah, in terms absolutely. of what they choices they've made, right, as uh, in sitting in office. But I think it's really good, and I think Barack Obama was really a, a huge champion for the arts while he was in um, the White House. And so I think it's always nice to, yeah. um, you know, have a mayor who will come and share yeah. her own poetry. Who comes out. Yeah, and shares poetry, yep. particularly. You yeah, know what I mean? Very cool. did, did she stay? Uh, she did. Oh, good. Okay, this she is what. She stayed. Yeah. She stayed. Um, Amazing. I don't know if she was at the whole thing, but she stayed for a while. She stayed and listened to the poets. Right. And yeah, totally. I mean, that's what we need. Yeah. Absolutely. A champion. Yeah. Yeah, there it is. So she was out there. Great poets, great young poets. They, uh, uh, Choir voices from across the region. So yeah, that's always, and that's always inspiring. I think young people are so inspiring to see. And speaking yeah. of young people, the National Poetry Out Loud, um, fest, not festival, but a competition or contest happened also here in April. I, that happened in D.C. I was not a part of it, but um, I know uh, we get all of our, our regional uh, Poetry Out Loud winners, which I did sit on the local um, Baltimore um, Poetry Out Loud contest, and I did, okay. uh, yeah, and that was fantastic. It was really fun. Um, so we send all of our advocates from all over the country to the national competition and so that also happened in april so april is again just just jam-packed i I mean i was i feel like i was awake for like 30 straight days in april that's basically (laughs) (laughs) and i'm still awake people and i mean so yeah yeah we had so much going on did you i don't know do you do uh now oh the here we go uh, 30 and 30 sort of thing all right people here's here's the honest admission right no i i mean i have done it in the past let me be clear i have done it in the past I, I never made it. I never make it for the full thirty days. Uh-huh. But I have done it in the past. This year, I did not do it. I, I simply had too many um, public appearances yeah, for me to really can. like engage with it. But I think it's a really good national challenge. I think it's great. Yeah. Um, I think people. A lot of people write and they feel like guilty that they didn't finish. You know what I mean, or whatever. That yeah. sort. Of, and I'm kind of like, dude. As long as you try, you know what I mean. As long as you're. Um, committed to your art and you, you know even if you don't make it every day so you make it every three days and you you know you write something that's an accomplishment yeah yeah to me that's how i felt too i i tried yeah. this here for the first time oh, oh. i tried I'm, I'm, I'm gonna do it 30 and 30 so i got to day four okay and it completely fell apart oh so and you never went back apart. no no <sighs> i and i i did go here at the end of the month i did go back um and i pulled one of those four poems out for further revision the rest was sort of crap but i pulled one out to polish up it that i thought was yeah. worthwhile i mean you got to um, got to start somewhere though yeah something was created yeah. something was created i mean you know I, yeah. I think i just think it's silly to I, here's what i think i mean uh, overall about things and ideas like this i think sometimes it's silly to put yourself under the gun to feel worse after taking a challenge than you did before you did it, you know what I mean? So yeah, if it's something yeah. that's going to stress you out, then don't do it. But I think if you if you can look back on the thing and say, hey, I didn't I didn't finish through, I didn't follow through totally, but I did create something, I think that's a way in which to, to, to feel like you contributed but not put yourself under too much, you know, guilt, pressure. I'm not into that. I'm totally anti-Catholic when it comes to that. You know <laughs> what I mean? No guilt, no pressure. I'm all about feeling free. All right, let's talk pop culture. Uh, April, in addition to being a, a wild poetry month, wild pop culture month. Too, a wild, huh? yeah, a wild month overall. Yeah. I mean, overall. <laughs> I just, I, where, where do we start? Yeah, huge list here in front of us. Let's start with Kanye. Yeah, sure. Let's, we can let's always... start. Let's start with always start with Kanye. Oh God! All right. So those who don't know, Kanye uh, did a couple things this month. So Kanye, the big thing was I, not the big thing. The <laughs> the central thing. One of the things. Kanye dropped an album this month. Yeah. So. Everything that Kanye did should be in the context of that. Real Kanye question. is dropping an album. He is dropping it. Did you? Do you have it? Have you listened? I 
the last county the album last. I listened to was 808s. Right. Um, I loved everything before. I liked it every. No, I loved everything before 808s. Everything yeah. 808s I didn't love. Nothing's come after 808s have I loved as a whole album. There's some individual songs right. that I love. Um, but so you have not listened to the brand new album? No, no. Right. I'm have, unlikely to. You're unlikely Based to. Based on unlikely what Kanye to. did this month, I am oh, unlikely to. Oh, so sad. Yeah. So sad. Have you listened to the new Cardi B? Uh, I listened to the single that was dropped last week, week before. Yeah, uh, with not the album. Oh, the other one. Oh, yeah, yeah right. there was. A, oh man, I'm square. I don't remember, but the single came out. I, I listened to yeah. it when it dropped. Um, She's got great music. I I I love Cardi. I B. love Cardi B. Everyone loves Cardi B. I think we talked I about mean, this on the podcast. Oh, maybe we did. Before. Maybe we, we're everyone. Loves we're sorry, Cardi people. B. We don't have good memories anyway. Yeah. We yes, but we love Cardi B. But back to Kanye. Yes. <laughs> okay. This, he dropped Kanye, an album. Dropped the big thing Kanye did this month was he tweeted. His autographed Make America Great Again hat um, and praised Donald Trump, saying he loved Donald Trump. Him and Donald Trump both have that dragon spirit. Yeah. Um, what is what is that? Is that is that a reference to the Chinese New Year? What what is he what does he mean dragon I, spirit? I, I only Kanye can know. Okay. Um, I'm just just clarifying. So uh, in response to that, he got a lot of pushback from both his fans and other celebrities and Black Twitter and of course of course Black <laughs> Twitter. Um, uh, they said that he's in a sunken place. Uh, yeah, right. Out. And then he, um, he kept tweeting. He kept tweeting back to people who were. <laughs> he was like watching people's responses and tweeting back and saying, "No, I've left the sunken place." Does this look like someone who's in the sunken place? And then tweeting pictures of his home. Did you Did you see that? No pictures. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pictures of his house, which is very. Um, it's very clean and white and very scary looking. Like, no one lives there. Like, there were, like, a, a white table with white leather chairs and white floor and white yeah. walls. It's very strange. And he was like, does this look like someone who's in the sunken place? Which I, I don't know what that's supposed to mean. Uh, I don't know. Kanye, Kanye. Okay, so uh, Kanye lost so many followers. But did like he really? nine million in a week. Are you followers. sure? Yeah, yeah. You, you, oh, I didn't know that. Uh, huge drum followers, like the most significant single week loss of followers I've ever seen. Um, there's a running list of all the celebrities who unfollowed him, in court, including BTS, mm. uh, Rihanna, yeah. a whole bunch of celebrities who simply unfollowed Kanye. And you know, um, lots of the people out there don't realize, a long, I, was this two years ago or a year? No, it was a year ago he was talking about on stage he should run for president. You know, Kanye 2020. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so here it is, people. If this is your if this is your interest, if you're interested in Kanye politically, this is who he aligns himself with. Is this your Kanye? He, right, <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> you know, hashtag, you know, not me is what I'm is what I'm saying. You know what I mean? And then he also went on to say he actually kept tweeting and he also said, um, you know, Barack Obama did nothing for black Americans in the eight years that he was in office. Right. Or, right. you know, and, and nothing for the south side of Chicago, which I was really that I felt like was uh he also said that Barack Obama would not meet with him. I, I think, you know, I think his whole alignment with Trump thing is really just out of, like, anger and resentment about Barack Obama. I don't, I don't, I, here's the thing. I, I, I grew up loving Kanye. Yeah, yeah, of course. Loving a lot of Kanye. people. Yeah, 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 yeah. Loving Kanye. And He's so. He's a really brilliant musician at, at the, at the core of it back in the day. But I mean, I think brilliant. But I also think, I was saying this the other day, I also think Kanye, I think Kanye is like Elon Musk. And I mean that in the worst he's way trying possible. To, he's trying to get us to go to Mars? He is, <laughs> he's an ideas person and he thinks that's a good thing. Right? Okay. He thinks the idea is the thing. 
right? Okay. Um, and he's like, oh, we just need to do, like, Elon Musk, like, oh, we're just going to fucking build a Hyperloop, right? Oh, we're just going to build, right? Like, um, he, oh, we're just going to build a mass transit, uh, like Uber, but mass transit underground. Like, oh, yeah, somebody already invented that. It's called a subway, right? Like, um, he's an ideas person. Except you don't, give, you don't give the subway stars after you finish. Yeah, and the idea is not the thing when you're someone like Elon Musk or someone like Kanye West, like, Plenty of artists, plenty of uh, CEOs have great ideas. Sure. Whether or not you can implement them, whether or not they're realistic, is a thing, right? Yeah. Um, otherwise, you're just a, a, a stoner in your basement, right? Like, <laughs> like, oh man, what if we build a hyperloop? Um, so I think Kanye is that now, right? Kanye is like, you know, like a couple years ago, he's like, I just need Mark Zuckerberg to give me a billion dollars and I'll build the greatest art ever. I'm like, yeah, me too, Kanye. I could build something great with a billion dollars too. Um, I don't know. I, I just, I really stopped believing in Kanye many years ago. And so this, uh, this doesn't surprise me because Kanye has been this way for me a either. while. Me either. Um, you remember he had that appearance with Trump a year ago at Trump Tower. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. Um, he met with then, him. He said, that, he said yeah. that Trump called him in. That's what yeah. part, part of his claim to fame. Yeah. Trump wanted a meeting with him. Yeah. Important stuff. Yeah. He, wa- he yeah. Oh. Or not. You know what I mean? But I mean, here, I, my thing is this. Really, I mean, you know, I think this should be bring the conversation of mental illness to the forefront of America's sort of uh, sphere and thinking about. Because I think Kanye, I mean, there have been a lot of rumors. I'm not sure which one of the, which ones of them have been substantiated that he definitely is on uh, mentally unstable and possibly on medication. I don't really care about his political affiliations. I mean, I'm I'll get, like you, I'm not surprised. But I think, you know, when you see someone who possibly could be unstable and possibly their medications are, you know, not, um, you know, in a median place, you know what I mean? I think then you can see erratic behavior. And he tends to, and I mean, yes, every, everyone's saying, yes, he, he's promoting his album and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I'm fine with that. I don't have any problem with him promoting his album and saying dumb shit. I'm fine with that. But I mean, I think, to me, it feels like someone who's unstable. Yeah. And um, I think that's... I think it's a dangerous thing to just assume when someone's like being terrible to, to jump to mental illness, right? Well, right, and but I it's been it's, said before. Yeah, yeah. Right, um, right. I mean, so, you know, I, I'm just wondering how much of that is true yeah. and whether or not, and I'm not saying saying he could just be a horrible he could be a horrible right. guy an idiot he could just be crazy yeah but it could yeah and it could just be like for me i just think like when when you get to be kanye the, the yeah. character can kanye the iconic character for right. so long uh you forget how to be a person right and so uh I, yeah I, i'd steer away from any diagnosis of mental health but i do think like to, to be filthy rich, to be surrounded by yes men, yeah, um, to be able to do whatever you want for so long, um, that is not a healthy thing for a human being. Yeah, I also think, and I've been saying this, the reason I loved young Kanye is because I was a broke kid from a city, and Kanye was rapping about being a broke kid from the city, right? Right. And Kanye, both his music and his public persona now is a filthy rich person, right? Right. And money stands for money. That's why money stands for money, so it doesn't surprise me when a filthy rich artist right. says, I support Trump. Right? right. And while we're on the moment, while we're talking crap about Kanye West, let's not forget um, that Shania Twain, 90s country artist, Shania Twain, 
also said, she's Canadian, so she couldn't vote, but she said, if I could <laughs> vote in the United States, um, I would have voted for Trump. No, so, people, she's Canadian. She can't vote anyway. <laughs> so why do we care who's, what she's, yeah. who she's I don't. She I don't want to put a black artist uh, uh, on blast without also calling out. Oh, okay, I see what you're saying. Shania you want a little, Twain, you want a little balance. This week also... Uh, was talking Trump nonsense. But again, I don't think, I think again, whoever people want to vote for, for me, I don't, I, I really, or I just don't care. I don't care that people, I don't even care that Kanye, if Kanye is a total Republican and totally sides with Donald Trump, I really actually don't care. It's not surprising to me, but I really just don't care. But you, you, part of, to me, is like, why are we looking at the spectacle? Like, you know, I'm kind of interested in why the spectacle of Kanye is so, um, Interesting. I think the, yeah. I think America has a lot of more uh, has a, a dirty laundry list of more important things like Flint not having clean water yeah. as we transition perhaps to our other our other yes. category. Yes. Right. Yes. Talking about that. So I think the America should be concerned about protesting that because that can happen in any urban um, poor uh, lower lower class social socioeconomic town. And so why should we be concerned that the Kanye's talking about the damn sunken place. Why yeah. Why aren't we interested in bettering America yeah. is really what I'm, you know. No more airtime for Kanye. Let's talk about is, the, the, white hot, the White House Correspondence Dinner. dinner. Yeah. Um, so that happened this weekend. What is uh, colloquially referred to as Nerd Prom. Yeah. Uh, it is where all the people who are in the White House press pool, right. along with uh, White House administration um, and invited guests, often celebrities and stuff. Often celebrities. Um, come to the Washington Hilton in D.C. Oh, is that the Hilton? Yeah, okay, so the Hilton. Just oh. a couple blocks in the White House. Um, right. It, it goes there. People come. They do a little cute little dinner. Yeah. Some, some and, here's what we did this year sort of thing. And then some roasting. And yeah, and then they invite a comedian every year to come ro- do some roasting. It's they. It, it, it happened every year. It happened with um, Barack Obama. Sure. It happened with Bush. They Bush, invite yeah. people. Yeah. They come. They poke fun at them. Yeah. Right. This year they invited Michelle Wolf. Yeah. Who had a who did a set that at times was absolute fire. Yep. Uh, at times fell a little flat on the audience. Yes. Um, but the next day, there was a lot of talk that it was so inappropriate. Yeah, and even, yeah, yeah. even, even Democrats, um, and left-leaning pundits and journalists were saying, oh, so inappropriate yep. for her. And the big focus were her comments about Sarah Huckabee Sanders, White yeah. House press secretary. Um, did you listen to the whole I set? I listened to part of it. Yeah. Because of the stuff about Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. And, and you know, also Trump tweeted, but maybe we'll get to that after we talk a little. Trump tweeted, you know, the whole thing should be done away with. You know what I mean? The whole thing. He also, he also referred to Michelle as filthy. As Michelle, Michelle Wolf as yeah, filthy? Yeah, filthy. That word was used. That's, that, that word gets to be really loaded yeah. to me. Yeah, yeah. Right? As, you know as I mean? many of his choice of adjectives tend Exa- to be. Exactly. Yeah. He, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so got a lot of pushback, um, obviously from conservative officials and yep. pundits, but right. more surprisingly also from Democrats and, yeah. and left-leaning pundits. Um, I, I enjoyed some of the sets. I did. Uh, some yep. of the set a little, little too much for me, but there's some, like the Sarah Huckabee Sanders stuff was actually, it's weird that that's being the focus because it's actually yeah. some of the more mundane jokes right. she made. Um, and let's be honest, every comedian that does that, that does that opening set or whatever, yeah. always is a little, you know, or, or whoever speaks at the very opening of the show or closes out the show, I, I, I sort of forget how it goes, but they're always a little bit um, 
third rail-ish. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're always, I mean, so that's kind of what they're there to do is not, is not to be like a boring yeah. stoic sort of person, but they're there to sort of push against things. Right. And sort of, you know, push the audiences in ways in which, you know, they may feel comfortable. I mean, Larry Wilmore, when he, you know, I, I had some problems with some things that Larry yeah. Wilmore said. I mean, he, he said has, the N word. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> he got similar pushback. It was it like, did. I can't believe they invited him. Like, and I can't believe he said the N word. Yeah, yeah. You yeah, know what totally. I mean? I mean, so, I mean, everyone, I mean, this thing, it shouldn't be, again, again, I feel like this is another distraction. Yeah. I will say this my favorite joke she made about Sarah Huckabee Sanders was uh, she opened her, that portion of the set with, uh, I'm really starstruck. Um, I really loved you as Aunt Lydia in The Handmaid's Tale, yeah. uh, which is a reference to the, the woman who controlled and abused the women in The Handmaid's Tale. It was... Uh, Pretty hilarious. It was a good joke. It was, yeah. a, it was a good cut. And you um, remember Barack Obama made a really good, funny, Orange is the New... What was this thing from... Uh, you know, it was like an Orange is the New Black reference, Barack yeah. Obama. I mean, you know, so pre- even presidents can be funny. I mean, yeah. you know what I mean? And, and a little irreverent. This is a space... The White House Correspondents' Dinner should be the place where everyone takes all the weight of the, you know, of the world off their shoulders and sort of comes to celebrate the press, right? I mean, that's what the dinner is actually supposed to be about the free press. It's really not supposed to be focused on who, you know, the people speaking and their speeches and all this sort of stuff to me, you know what I mean? It's really, it really should be a space where we're coming to talk about um, the freedom of journalism and how journalism has, um, you know, done amazing things in America. And when it's not doing that, it should hold power to account, right? Right. And I think my Michelle favorite thing about Michelle Wolf she was trying to do that. Set is that she did that. She did that in two big that. ways. Yeah. My favorite, um, one of the two ways was uh, she said um, directly, like not even really joking. Yeah. She said, um, you, the media, right. um, left or right, are responsible for Trump. Yeah. Like he is he selling your papers. He's yep. selling ads on your TV show. You right. created this monster. Yeah. And you're is, profiting. She said, and you're profiting, you're profiting, profiting from it. <laughs> she just like broke the joke facade entirely. Yeah. And, and like, she was like, I'm going to call you out. Right. And right. And whatever he does, they're, you know, the, the Wall Street Journal or the whatever, they're selling papers based on all these things that they're reporting that he does. So yeah, yeah they are profiting from Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And then, of course, the best thing she did um, after a set full of some laughs, some groans, some boos even. Yeah. Um, um, people claiming falsely they walked out of the set. Um, after all that, the last thing she says in the set to close her this 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 absolute just like incendiary set is Flint, Michigan still doesn't have clean water. Yeah, which which which, which I which I just said earlier that the that America should be concerned with. Right. So she right. drew attention to a real issue. Right. On this platform, she knew it was going to get attention. She knew. Millions of people were going to watch this did. and rewatch it. Um, thank she you, takes Michelle. That moment. Yeah, thank you. It's amazing to yes. bring attention to that. To use yes. your platform to bring attention to that. Right. Still does not have clean water. Yeah. And people in Puerto Rico still don't have electricity. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> really that? cool of her to, to uh, yeah, bring power to account and to call a spade a spade and to um, use her platform as well. Yeah. All very cool things. I think so, too. I think, yeah. uh, you know, it was amazing. I think, you know, I mean, I think this, too, will pass her. Uh, the, all the, the uh, you know, the anger and all the fury about about her set, I think it will pass. But I think, you know, it's interesting. I think it's, uh, it's apropos for her to draw some attention to some real public issues at the end. And if she's a little critical of the White House and Sarah Huckabee Sanders and, I mean, you know, so be it. Yeah. I mean, you know, everyone, this is a space where everyone is supposed to get a little loose, people. Yeah. That's what it should be. 
So now, welcome to the bang portion bang. <laughs> of our of our podcast. Um, we're going to be talking. We always have a question, or we, or sometimes we have an idea that we're or interested game. in, or game that we're yeah. interested. Right, whatever. We're interested in bouncing off. Usually on our on our guests because we usually have guests, but today it's just us. So yeah, our bang for today. We had a great idea. We wanted to talk about TV childhood crushes and why. Ooh, yeah, ooh, I yeah. mean that 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 is that's wild. I mean, I have so many. And maybe I'll be embarrassed to tell. I don't know. But anyway, we both have TV crushes. I have actually even current TV. Yeah. Is it? Is Who it? Who among ch- us no. does not? But we, but we need to stick to childhood. This is this yeah. is not about me lusting after you know Michael B. Jordan. Who's ta- who's talking about that? Yeah. But we're going to talk about childhood. <laughs> um, childhood goes from the ages of what to what? Do you think? Whatever. When you first started noticing. Uh, 13, noticing people on old. TV. 13's too old. No, 13 counts. Right? Is, 13 I mean, counts. Whenever you start, right? Some of us at like 8 or 9 were like swooning over the TV, but some right. of us right. was a little older, right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 What, think, what, are you, what are you either, what do you think are either your first, the first ones you noticed, or the most uh, resonant, right? The ones that really burn in your memory. Okay, so I'm going to start with one and then I'll go to you and then maybe we'll have another. But anyway, yeah. my fir- the first huge one that I remember is Johnny Depp from 21 Jump Street. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I was very young when this was on, right? Yeah. So I was like, you know, my mom was like, Saying, why are you, Cece, why do you keep watching this weird show with these, with these, these old kids and they're cops and they're like, you know, 21 Jump Street, the original, many of you out there probably don't know the original, but anyway, the original was, um, interesting and weird. It also was a very diverse cast. Yeah. Right. That's what I loved. I was just like, oh man, there's like a, there's an Asian person, there's a black person, there's a white, you know, it's, it felt weird because, you know, a long time ago, you really didn't see, um, diversity, you know, both, uh, ethnic and racial diversity in cast like that. So it was interesting to me. Anyway, so it was Johnny Depp, a primetime show too, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and the, I think the even the um, the lieutenant or the the sergeant for the the force was black. Was ever so even that black male? You know what I mean? So that was even interesting. But I wasn't interested in him. I was totally interested in Johnny Depp, a young Johnny Depp who had like this long comb over hair, like flipped brown auburn hair like sort of thing you know and he was he was manly but a little bit soft and you know all the things that a young <laughs> a young girl yeah, should yeah. be you know i don't know lusting after or whatever but johnny depp that, that that's my hugest one yeah. i can think of others but yeah like you know and i still love johnny depp now only the problem is johnny depp you know uh the whole pirates of the caribbean also yeah i know human. yeah he does he's, he's still beautiful but he, he sucks as a human being. He does. Yeah. He does his whole the whole airline yeah. thing, yeah. the politics. Yeah, that's what everything. You're his exes. Every- oh uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't even. I don't even know. I can't keep up with the exes. Yeah. What? What happened? I know he got divorced, and then he dated. He dated. Uh, there, there are numerous accusations oh, numerous. of uh, domestic violence and emotional, oh. emotional, and I know physical, but definitely emotional violence. So right. Uh, yeah, yeah he's, and then he's trash. reports of what he's like with like, uh, like. Uh, Service workers and stuff like that. Oh right? gosh, so, yeah. I, some of that stuff I didn't even hear. God, Johnny, De- shame on you, Johnny. Yeah. It's but, a shame yeah, when when the people we grew up adoring. Yeah, turn out yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, by the time he did Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, much of the eyeliner was a little bit too much for me. I mean, I liked the sort of the gender bending. I, I liked. I, I was interested in that. You know, the long dreadlocks and yeah. sort of all the jewelry. But some of the eyeliner there was just a little no, bit I too love, much. For I me. love. You guy love eyeliner. I love guy liner. I like. I like yeah. guy liner. <laughs> You made up your own term. I love that. I wish I could take credit for that. Okay, no. but now on to you. I'm sorry, I've talked too much. No. Now on to you and what oh, cool. childhood crush. So there's there's two that really oh, burn for me. It's important I do too because I'm a queer person who likes people of all gender, right? So my first two. Oh, I've got okay. The, my first of each gender. 
right? Oh, so yeah, first, my first of each, each gender, gender, right? Okay. Um, uh, uh, the first dude I had a crush on on TV was Rufio um, in the movie Hook, uh, played by Dante Bosco in the movie Hook. Did you never see the movie Hook? No. What? I'm, I'm looking. I'm what? looking. I'm looking at Anthony now. Like, what? What is? Is this a cartoon? No. Okay. Animation. So I cannot believe I have to explain this to anybody. Oh Hook, my god, people. Hook was a live action sequel to Peter Pan. It's starred. Okay. Uh, it starred. Oh. Um, um, oh, why am I drawing a blank? Um, dude from Dead Poet Society. Um, Not Robin Williams. Robin Williams. It starred Robin Williams. Hook. Yeah. Oh, Robin I Williams see played this. Peter Pan. Huh. Um, Julie Roberts played Tinkerbell. Oh, wow. um, Dante Bosco played Rufio, who okay. is right. the boy okay. who took the lead of the Lost Boys after Peter Pan left Neverland. Okay. Um, anyway, Dante Bosco has this punk aesthetic, uh, big tri-hawk dyed hair. Oh, okay, cool. Dante Bosco's this, at the time, late, I'm, I'm in my early teens. He's probably late teens, early 20s. Uh, All right. actor. He's a gorgeous dude. Um, and even before I realized I like guys, I could tell there was something there in a way that looking back, like a lot of queer people looking back at like, oh, why was I so interested in that person when uh, I was a kid? Um, right. Yeah, because I couldn't right, right, re- register right. that it was a crush. Yeah. And then uh, the first uh, girl crush was even younger than that. It was really probably, I don't know, elementary school. Um and I had a crush on Jenny Lewis played a character in the movie The Wizard. Did you ever see The Wizard? Starring Ben so. Savage. Oh, I love I love Ben, ben Savage. Ben Savage takes his this. little brother across the country to play in a Nintendo tournament. Oh my god. And so it's a child road trip movie. Oh my god. Based around video games. Um, this doesn't sound like a great premise, just saying. But <laughs> but I'm in, but I'm in for it. I'm you're yeah. I'm here for it. Um and they meet this um, this young girl who sort of had to raise herself and fend off, uh, fend off flirtation from older dudes. Oh, okay. So she's rough and tumble. Right. And that girl is played by Jenny Lewis. Okay. Uh, Jenny Lewis continues a career in childhood acting and then goes on to be a musician. Yeah. She fronted the band, uh, Rilo Kylie. Yeah. Um, she's still beautiful and talented, but my first crush was her as like a, I don't know, tween and me as like a, a elementary school kid. Um, just swooning in front of the TV at the movie right. The Wizard. Two. Two. I'm going to see Hook, though. I'm not going to watch Wizard. Oh, I'm my gonna, God. I'm going to be honest with you and tell you I'm, ne- I'm not going to see Wizard. But, I'm, but, I, but Hook sounds like I might really enjoy it. Yeah. I, I, the Wizard, in retrospect. Uh, Maybe I'll see it drunk. Not a, not a great movie to watch. Maybe I'll see that drunk. Yeah. If you, wanna, <laughs> if you want a bad movie, you want to get drunk and watch a bad movie, <laughs> put on The Wizard. Maybe that's, maybe that's what I should do. And one last crush that yeah. I want to mention that's not a TV crush. It's a music crush. Oh. Is my eternal love for New Edition. Oh, of course. Everyone I mean, love New Edition. I mean, era, right? yeah. I mean, yeah. just like, I mean, basically all of them. Like all, I mean, Ralph Trasvant was like my number one. You know, yeah. the others were like kind of paler in comparison. Yeah. But I love them all. And um, my, my mother got really tired of me like collecting new edition like paraphernalia yeah in my, in my room. you had like posters oh yeah stuff? oh, oh yeah on the, on the door <laughs> on the door I, you know somebody else was on the backside maybe michael jackson or something like that you know whatever um but yeah no i mean i really i was totally in love with them so you know it equal opportunity black white 
you know, it doesn't, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to me. But New Edition, all of them, my mother thought I was really gross, too, because they were older. She didn't like the fact that I... It, it said something about me that I was often looking at not, you know, not my age, sort of, you know what I mean? As a young girl, I was looking at older and more distinguished, yeah. sort of. Yeah. yeah, me too. But, yeah. But for gender. Yeah. Right, 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 right. But for... <laughs> I said both gender. Remember, people, there are more than two genders. Uh, yeah. But yeah, totally. Right. But uh, anyway. People of all genders when I was young. So yeah, I think that's, uh, I think that our, our crushes are, are cool. And I learned about a new movie. So. Oh my God. Everyone go, if you haven't seen Uh-oh, Hook, here it's it before your time. If you missed it, if it's ahead of your time, whatever, go watch the movie Hook starring Robin Williams. It's oh, such an iconic movie. And also go and watch an old episode of 21 Jump Street, which is the possibly the best TV young adult uh, young person, I don't know, uh, crime, you know, uh, series ever. That's what and I'm we'll put the link for the video for Cool It Now. Oh, in the yeah. Show notes, which... Cool it now. You got to slow it down. Ooh, watch out. <laughs> You're gonna lose control. All right, that's it. That's our show. It's been a great one. We'll be back next month with a great guest. Mm-hmm. Yep. In the meantime, you can follow us on social media. At Lit Pop Bang. That's you, our handle. And you can check out the show notes for the links to all the things we've mentioned. Thanks for joining us from Baltimore City. This has been Lit Pop Bang. Bang.